You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. It was comical talking with Joe, just it seems like every time they've tried to get away, something comes up and they've been unable to, so it was great for them to be able to get away for this week. So they'll be back next Sunday, and he will finish up our, uh, like, the D group refine refinement services that we've been doing at Mini Three Parts. So we're, today we're back in Luke, and I get to finish and conclude um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount um, passage here in Luke 6. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. That's where we will be starting, or starting today. Now again, many, many of the times when Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, we are familiar with these passages. We've heard them before. Um, many of us, when we were very young, we probably heard the song or know the song. Um, the wise man, he built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sands. And the rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm, and the house on the sand flat. went splat. Yeah, or fell flat, depending, depending how cool your church was. Either splat or flat, okay? Uh, or maybe something else, okay? So you've heard this passage, and so I want to caution us not to come in thinking like a little children's nursery rhyme type passage today, but what Jesus is calling here is actually something quite deep, pun not intended, um, as we are listening to what Jesus says here as he's wrapping up this sermon. So let's read together um, in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, and we'll finish the chapter. And Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Let's pray together. Father, as we are, again, looking at your words here and the things that you've been teaching and reminding us of, Father, may we hear these words rightly today. Father, may we not just hear these words and put them in our pocket, put them in a notebook and just and leave them there, but may we actually do these words, apply them to our lives, and seek you in all these things. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus here is uh, concluding, as I said, his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So when I read that, I'm like, well, what has Jesus been telling us? So if we kind of look back uh, at kind of the, the Sermon on the Mount, the things he's been telling them, um, there's some themes, themes that come up. Um, there's kind of three themes that come up, and we can, you could dive in deeper if we wanted. Um, so our, our first theme here, it was comical when I made the PowerPoint, and I put it up there. I'm like, oh, it looks like the James Bond opening. Like, anyways. <laughs> anyways, that's it. Okay. Um, that squirrel's gone. Okay. So one of the first themes we see in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, starting in chapter 6, verse 20 through like 26, Jesus speaks on this theme of like trusting God. As he's saying, um, 
Blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And he goes and saying, like, basically, those who are lowly, those who are weeping, those who are persecuted, they're going to be blessed. And those who have lifted themselves up or have made themselves great, they're going to be brought down. And so there's this theme that we see here and a desire to trust God. That's one of the first themes that we see Jesus talking about. The next big theme that we talked about, um, and I got to preach on, um, on Mother's Day, um, so I got, the, I got the mother and the father's day, sweet, um, is in 27 down through, uh, down through 38, where Jesus is talking about loving others. We see he, him, Jesus saying to love our enemies, and we talked about um, loving our enemies as Christ loves us, as we examine our heart, how do we see them, examining ourselves um, as Jesus says down here in 37, like not judging others and examining, which gets into our third, our third point, like this examination of self. Examine the plank in your own eye before you call out the speck in the other person's eye. And then as he goes down and we talk about like the, the fruit, the tree, and the fruit that that tree produces, whether it is good fruit or bad fruit, and these things are all coming from the heart. So there's an examination here of self. And these are some of the things that Jesus has been talking about, that we should be trusting God in all areas of life, that we should be loving others, loving our enemies, loving our neighbor, loving others, just as Christ loved us as our example. And then the, the kind of the third thing Jesus has been teaching here is this examination of self, that it makes sure that we're telling the truth, that you are confessing your sin, that you are aware of your sin before you're calling out sin in other people, that you're aware of the the fruit, the way you live your life. I mean, he talks about the, the example of the tree. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's this examination of the self. Are you, are you giving fruit or thorns? And so these are some of the things that Jesus has been talking about. And so when we get to our passage today, and Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Part of what he's saying is, are you trusting God? Are you loving others? And have you truly examined yourself, as Jesus has said? And so in here, again, um, we know the song, there's the wise man and the foolish man. Um, and in Matthew 7, uh, 24 through 27, Jesus uses this same uh, Example And in there, that's where Jesus uses the word wise and fool. So we're not just inserting these words. We see them in Matthew. But the, these are the two people we see compared here. Compared here. We see the, a wise man and we see the fool. We see the wise man and the fool. And these two people are being compared and contrasted here in this passage today. Um, so let's, again, listen, look what Jesus says. Um, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. Again, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Again, that word Lord here, it, one of the meanings of it is recognizing authority and like in submission. I'm recognizing that there's authority here, that this person has authority. I am submitting to them. Why are you, so he's like, why are you giving authority to to me or to something, and then not submitting to it. 
I mean, in our lives, it would make no sense if you had a, for the students, if you would go to your, like, your teacher um, and you're like, I recognize that you are the teacher, but I'm not giving you any authority, so I'm just going to have anarchy in your classroom, okay? Anyone that's worked with kindergartners, like, you know that that happens on a flip. Like, they will either love you or there's anarchy, and it's like that. It's crazy. Uh, or maybe in your workplace, there's the boss, and you, maybe you've seen the coworkers. They don't respect the boss. They don't give the boss authority, but yeah, that's the boss. We see it in our lives, and Jesus here is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you recognize authority in that you're verbally, you're submitting to it, but then you don't do what I tell you? Uh, over, um, on Friday, I had the cool opportunity, um, two of our, our youth here, I got to take them out on our 12-foot sailboat on Rocky Gap. Again, crazy times. But no, it's really fun. And it was fun, like, uh, they were at the front of the boat, and I get, um, there's two sails. There's the main sail, which is called the main sail. <laughs> and then there's the front little sail on the front. That's what it's called. And there's the front sail. It's called the jib. It's a smaller sail. Um, I like the cut of your jib. Maybe you've heard the saying, okay? And so there's two ropes on the jib, and it had the two boys in the front, and they were to operate the ropes. I showed them how to do it and how to position the jib to capture the wind at optimal capacity. There's these little flaps on the sail, they're called tells, and when you want those pointing back. And so I showed them how to do it, I told them what to do, and so we'd be sailing, and the main sail's blocking my view of the jib, and I would yell, Michael, how does the, the sail look? Says, it's great, they're pointing back. Or later on, maybe that we'd change course and the wind would change a little bit, and the jib, we have to be flapping, and you don't want a floppy jib, it's just, you don't want it. And without me having to tell them, the boys, they would say, you need to loosen your rope. I need to tighten my rope. And they were doing what I had told them to do. They had learned it and were doing it. And it was really cool to see. And as I'm back there just steering the boat and we're having a good time at Rocky Gap. Um, so there, even these young boys, they recognized I was the captain. Um, <laughs> and they were submitting and they learned and were doing it. Otherwise, the boat could have gotten thrashed around a little bit. We might have capsized. Uh, hasn't happened yet. Uh, Eric and I were close the one time, but we, we, we stayed up. Um, but we, there's an importance of doing what you were told when it comes to authority. So everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. So let's, let's look at this comparison. So one of the first things, it's, Everyone who comes to me. That's one of the first things. Everyone who comes to me. And in both of these stories, it seems like the, the wise man and the fool both come. Um, verse, uh, verse 48. He's like a man building a house who digs, it, digs deep, lays a foundation on the rock. Both of these stories, we see the people that they come to Jesus. Both of these people, at least in the story, they've come and they've heard the instruction of how to build a house. And then the second thing, everyone who comes to me and hears my words. Both of these people are hearing words. So they both built houses. So if in this story, the contractor said build a house, both of the fool here and the wise man both built houses. So there's the hearing, okay? But hearing here is not simply, hearing here is not simply uh, sound waves coming into your ear canal, vibrating the eardrum, being translated up into the brain, and, it, and like, okay, I have heard. Anyone with kindergartners, they hear a lot. But, it's he but this word here, hearing or understanding words, it's hearing with comprehension and understanding. Hearing with comprehension and understanding. 
Many times when I have conversations with my wife, I need to make sure I am listening to comprehend and not just yes, dear. Making sure that I am listening and actually hearing what she says, hearing what she means, because otherwise if I just hear sounds, that's not good enough. We're so good at just filling our house with background noise. Uh, I am blown away when I work with students. Like they will be, they'll have the TV on, they'll have like, they'll be on their phone and then like maybe playing a video game all at the same time. Like how do you hear anything or know what's going on? I don't know if they are, but at least they're just surrounded and their serotonin levels are nice, okay? From all the entertainment. So no, here's you saying, you are hearing my words and understanding them. Are you hearing and are you listening with purpose? Are you listening with purpose? Just like the two boys on the boat, when I gave them instructions, they were listening with purpose so they could help us navigate the boat safely around Rocky Gap. Or maybe you, if, if um, I grew up in an area where cell phone signals weren't always the best, and so sometimes people would give me directions, and I would write those down, and I, you would have to listen really well, and it's always funny moving from a larger area to a very rural area when rural people give you directions. One of my favorites, one of my favorites, maybe you've experienced this, um, is they'll be like, yeah, you'll go down, down there a little bit and you'll turn left at um, old Mr. Miller's barn, okay? I have no idea who Mr. Miller is. And then, then they go, oh wait, or where the barn used to be before it burned down. So now I'm looking for invisible landmarks. But anyways, that's the way they give instructions. Go to where this thing used to be that's no longer there. Thanks, okay? Some of you may have experienced that, yeah. But it, growing up in this area, there's even places where GPS doesn't work or phones don't work. So whenever we are listening for directions on driving, like we take really good notes. We listen really well. Okay, the second light, turn right. Don't go into that lane. That's the grumpy guy. Go the other way. Sweet. We listen really, really well. We hear, we are listening to understand. Do we apply that same intensity whenever we come to read God's Word? The, the video that played right before I came up here, um, it's, this is on a cycle um, that we've recorded these and we've, um, we have them loaded into the presentation. And I didn't pick that one to be played today, but it's awesome how God worked that one out. Like, as we're talking about Scripture today, one of the ways that that video was saying is we read Scripture with diligence and to hear from God. When it comes to hearing from Jesus, do we come with that same intensity of, okay, I gotta make sure I navigate this boat well so we don't capsize and lose all of our stuff. I wanna make sure I don't end up in the sketchy part of the woods with some guy playing a banjo. I want to listen well. Do we come to it with that same intensity or is it just like nursery rhyme time? Like, okay, we hear it and then it's gone. Or whenever the speaker gets up here, whether it's me, whether it's Joe, and in our mind we have the TV on or on our phone and we're playing a video game, thinking about what we're going to make. Why are we singing so many bridges of this song? Are we... What are we listening with purpose? Are we listening to understand? Are we listening to understand? Uh, there's one quote as I, uh, from one commentator. He says, much of what passes today in Christianity could be called nothing less than spiritual insanity. Meaning, like, he, we, 
whenever we read the Bible, we're not actually reading it or understanding it, and so we're just like making up our own understandings of it. We're just putting our own interpretations. We're not actually reading to understand. Uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, years ago, his father had passed away, and he and his father were really close, and it was a really challenging and frustrating time as uh, his father had passed away from cancer, and the funeral home called, and it, was, it wasn't the funeral director, but it was somebody just confirming all the arrangements, and it was just a really tough time, and essentially, the person on the phone said, you know, be encouraged. Your father um, is either with the angels or is an angel. I can't remember exactly, but basically, your father is with the angels looking over you right now, which is a nice, soft thing to say, but not biblically accurate at all. Like, his father is not an angel. When we die, we don't become angels, and so this pastor, in his frustration of mourning and suffering, is like, lady, no, he is not. And then proceeded to, cor like, correct her through scripture, like, this is what happens. He is not an angel. It's, like, it was a nice cushy thing to say, but it was not biblically accurate. Like, we, he, this lady was making up her own understanding of the Bible and was not actually listening and hearing the words. And that's just one small, like, very almost caric uh, caricature and exaggeration. But in all of our lives, I'm sure we can, like, if we were to really dive in and listen, we can see where, oh, this is just spiritual insanity. We're making up things. We're adding on things, um, whether it's legalism or whether it's just pomp and circumstance or tradition that we add in that maybe it sounds good, but there's no depth to it. We're just making stuff up, and we all just look spiritually insane. So Jesus is saying, come to me, hear my words. And then one of the biggest things that separates the wise man and the fool is actually doing what Jesus says. Doing what Jesus says. When we read here, um, Jesus says, the man who, who hears my words and does them. He's like a man who builds a house. He digs deep. He lays a foundation on the rock. And when the floods rose and the streams broke, the house did not shake because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do these words, does not do them, it's like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. And the streams of water broke against it, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Here, this is, where, this is where we see the divergence. Okay, both of these people, in this, at least in this example, we see them like maybe coming to Jesus, hearing from Jesus, but then not doing what he says. There was the rich young ruler. We see that man came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, and he's like, I've done all those things. I've kept all those commands. He's like, it's great. Then go and sell all you have and follow me. Do and he walks away. He walks away sad because his fortune was great. Here we see this divergent. Maybe there's the Christian that's been sitting, here, sitting in churches all their lives, and they come, they know Jesus, they know about Jesus, they hear the words, they're able to recite the words, they have notebooks and bookshelves full of notes and things they know about God and the things they've heard, and that's as far as it goes. That's as far as it goes. Here, this person, it, again, using Jesus' example, here, both these people knew how to build houses. They knew how to build houses, but they just didn't build it the way Jesus had said or the contractor in the story said. 
It wasn't anchored to anything. It wasn't done properly. It was foolish. And it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. And the ruin of the house was great. When we start to not listen to what Christ has called us to do, and we do what we want to do instead, the ruin of it will be great. A short version of a story. Uh, Ruth and I, whenever we go on longer road trips, we we listen to things, um, podcasts, and there was one very short version of it, but there was a lady who was finding, essentially found her identity, her value in life through seagulls. Yes, seagulls. And she found, like, the way that there were, the seagulls relationship, she's like, this fits my life perfectly, and she was so excited, you could hear it. But then when she, like, later talked to the researcher who, like, found this habit of seagulls in the 70s, like, yeah, they don't act like that anymore today. Like, that, that stopped happening. And literally, you could hear the woman, like, her identity shattered. Like, she was so excited, like, look at these seagulls, they're so great. Like, oh, it's in nature, blah, blah, blah. We're just living like nature. And then, like, yeah, but they don't do that anymore. Like, this woman was shook to her core, and we, we turned it off, and, we, and Ruth and I were talking, like, this woman was finding her value, her identity in seagulls. To us, again, it's crazy, but how much of us are we doing spiritually insane things? We're finding value. We're trying to learn all these things, but then we just leave it there. We don't do what Jesus says. Is it any wonder so many of us are unhappy? Is it any wonder many of us are so, so broken and feel worthless and hurt because we are not doing what Jesus has said? We are not doing what Jesus said. A Bible teacher once told me, like, the word shalom, peace, it's one of, the, one of the ways to think about it is, like, living up to our full potential, our full design as God has called us to live. And so he had two pictures. There was a, a beautiful sailboat. I must be partial, because, okay, a beautiful sailboat on a, on a little, on a pond, and it's just, it's sitting there, it's nice and beautiful. And then there's a Formula One race car ripping around the track at several hundred miles an hour. And he's like, which one of these is a better example of shalom peace? And we instinctively, we may want to think, oh, well, the, the sailboat is nice and tranquil, it's calm, it's quiet. But actually, no, like that sailboat is not living up to its full design because there's no wind, it's just sitting on a little pond. Versus the Formula One race car, which is ripping around the track, flying and doing what it's supposed to do, make men excited and, uh, okay. <laughs> As everyone waits for it to crash, okay? Like that's what, that's what it's designed to do. And if we are coming to Jesus, hearing from Jesus, we are to do what Jesus has called us to do. We're not supposed to be a little sailboat just sitting there like, I'm here ready. No, we are supposed to do as Jesus says. Is it any wonder we we feel broken and lost and insecure whenever we are not doing the things that Jesus has said to do? And scripture, scripture is full, and we're going to throw a lot of these up here. Scripture is full of passages that tell us to be doers of the word, not to hear it only, but to be doers. In, in James 1, uh, James 1, verse 22, we see, um, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. 
But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Um, in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, Luke, he goes on to tell, quote Jesus, where he says, But Jesus said, Better, uh, it is better, sorry, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, who do it. Uh, in John, the same thing. If, uh, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Sol King Solomon, so much of Proverbs is a matter of knowing what God has said, understanding the fear of the Lord, and doing it. Um, I had a much bigger list. I'm like, okay, I got to strike it down. But just read the first uh, 10 chapters of Proverbs, and you will see over and over and over and over and over again the value of doing what God has called us to do. Um, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hey, there's that fool word again. Okay. Um, Proverbs 3, 1, my son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. Keep, do, okay? Uh, Proverbs 4, 7, okay? The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. And then he goes on to say in that one, My son, be attentive to my words and incline your ears to my saying. Okay, here's that hearing. Let them not escape from your sight and keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. And put dis, uh, devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly to, uh, forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and turn your foot away from evil. And just, just one more, okay? Uh, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. Keep my teachings as, an, as the apple of your eye. Bind them to your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Again, Solomon is telling his son here and, and us in Proverbs the value of wisdom and keeping God's commands. And keeping these commands, he's like literally writing them on your fingers or writing them on your heart. If we've seen pictures or, or video clips of, of Jews at the Wailing Wall or other places, many times they have what they're called phylacteries. They're like little boxes that have scriptures that they tie like to their foreheads or like they band them to their arms. Literally, they are tying scripture onto their arms and onto their, their foreheads. So the scriptures are always on their mind. A, a visual reminder of God's word. And here, again, we see like there's this value of having it in your heart because from the heart, it says, flows the life spring. Well, Jesus, said, Jesus says the same thing about the tree, about the tree and the fruit that the tree produces in Luke 6. Where is your heart? Are you desiring? Are you building up? Are you meditating on these things? So when the floods come up, you have something to hold on to? Sam read for us from Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, the first, the first like 12 chapters, 12 and a half chapters, are really heavy and kind of like, this is a really sad, depressing book. Like everything's worthless. It's like the wind. And, but, it, but when I've worked with, it, with students, I'm like, get to the end. Make it to the end. 
And after Solomon has gone through and says, I built parks, they were worthless, I gained wisdom that was worthless, I had all these things, it was worthless, it, was just, it, whoosh, it washed away. At the very end, the very end of Ecclesiastes, this is Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. All these things are worthless. They wash away. They're like wind. They're like a vapor. They're like smoke. They're just, they're here and they're gone. When you die, they're gone. But the thing that matters most is to fear God, recognize who he is, that submission, authority, Lord, Lord, and keep his commands. Do what he says. This is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of man. So I want to look at the wise man again, the wise man in our passage back in Luke. And there's three things that we see him doing. And one of the first ones, it is digging deep. It is digging deep. Everyone who hears my words and does them, and I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. He dug deep. Whenever you are building a house or building a project, the foundation seems to be one of the longest things. That and sanding drywall. Those two things seem to always take forever. Um, just ask Eric. Anyways, so the foundation, you have to dig deep. And if you, I, I'm, I'm weird. I like watching like videos of like big construction projects on like Discovery Channel or on YouTube. And over in Dubai, like they're building in the desert and then like they're building islands in the middle of the water because money. Um, and so they will take literally like years packing down the sand. And they're building this project, there's all this machinery, there's all these people around. And if you were to watch it from a distance, like, they're not doing anything. Just dirt's being moved around, dirt's getting moved from there to there. There's the big machinery there. Like, what are they doing? But they're digging deep. They're laying down these foundations. They're compacting the sand. Um, around here, or I, I grew up over near Wheeling, West Virginia, they were leveling off the top of the mountain to build the Cabela complex over there. And it took a long time for them to move all that dirt Anywhere that it's wet, you have to put the foundations deep. Otherwise, nothing will hold. And so digging deep. Many times when we're digging deep, we have to upheave and throw out rocks and get out things that are in the way, the messy things, the things that cause us, cause us to want to quit, that are like, okay, that's far enough. Or, oh, that's, that's hard. I, oh, it's been there a while. I don't want to get rid of that. I think one of the, one of the first things that we need to do, as if we want to be doers of the word, we have to dig deep. And by that, we, that's a calling of repentance. What is there that we have to get rid of? What identity? Are we finding our identities in seagulls? Or are we finding our identity in money? We have to dig deep and refine the things that are in the way and get rid of them. And it may take a while to get down there to the roots, to the heart, to the, the thing that's painful, that's been buried and we've covered it up. We've buried it deep because of maybe shame, of guilt, of fear. We don't want anyone to see that thing, so we just keep packing it down. 
in the Luke, he wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote uh, the book of Acts as well. And in Acts 2, listen to this. Like, uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 37 and 38, Peter, he gets up and he, uh, he, he speaks this sermon, and at the end of it, the crowd there, they say, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This crowd, I'm sure they had heard Jesus teach or other people had spoken, but until the Holy Spirit came upon them, until they actually heard these words rightly for the first time, nothing had changed. Forty-some days before this, the people had crucified Jesus. But he's risen, and now we're at Pentecost. And so they hear this message of salvation. They hear the need to be saved. And they say, what should we do? And, Jesus, or, and Peter says, repent and be baptized. And it says that day, 3,000 souls were saved. This is, the be- I, this is the beginning of digging deep, is realizing our sin, digging deep and repenting of it. Repenting of it. Later on, um, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, we meet, we meet uh, Saul. He was about to get a name change. And this man was very anti-Christians. He was very anti-Christian, and he was actually on his way to Damascus to go arrest some more Christians. And as he's on the way to arrest them, Jesus shows up and changes everything. Jesus shows up um, and blinds him. He falls down. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do when you are there. And then he, uh, Jesus speaks to Ananias, one of the disciples there, a follower of Jesus there. And so then we see that Paul, he, Ananias goes and talks to Paul. And listen here um, in verse, uh, chapter 9 of Acts, verse 17. And so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has also sent to me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight, and then he arose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And then we see that in, in, in here, and then if you like look over in the book of Galatians, it says basically Paul went away for like three years, and then he came back to Damascus and started speaking. And many Bible scholars speculate that during that three years, he was essentially relearning everything that he thought he knew. Saul, he knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. But many speculate over those three years, he was digging deep and seeing how all of it pointed to Jesus. So when he shows back up and begins to speak, and other people give him permission to speak, like, no, he's not going to murder you. He's actually, he's on our team now. The Holy Spirit has changed him. We start seeing just over and over and over again this man who was killing Christians and who, by all of our measurements, should probably feel a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment for all the the lives he had put in jail and killed. 
But now we see him humbly speaking, humbly speaking and boldly proclaiming Christ. It, when we hear Jesus' words and we do them, one of the first things we need to do is to dig deep. Colossians, Colossians 3, 5 through 9, it, it tells us again how, what we should be doing as we are digging deep to put away and put on. Look what it says in Colossians 3, 5 through 9. Put to death, therefore, if we're going to be doers of God's word, put to death, therefore, all, um, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, as followers of Jesus, put them all away. Put away anger and malice uh, and wrath and slander uh, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. There is this putting off and this putting on. Dig deep and put off the old things. The next thing we see this man doing after he's dug deep and prepared, we see that there is a laying of a foundation. We see that there is a laying of the foundation. And we see here that in, in uh, Paul speaking in uh, 1 Corinthians 3. Again, let's just let Scripture speak to us this morning. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care on how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. He is our foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stone, wood, hay or straw, each one's works will become manifest, uh, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Um, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only, but only as through fire. There's this laying up a foundation, and he says, lay our foundation should be built on Christ. Anything else, if it is man-based, if it is our identity, if it's our works that we're trying to build up and living our life out of, it, so those things will just burn up, be passed away, whoosh, gone. Vanity, vanity, like a smoke, will be gone. But we, again, we see that Scripture tells us that Christ is this foundation that we should build our life upon. First Peter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual household to the only holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
and there's this, this warning that whenever we dig deep, okay, maybe we get some things right, we um, go to, maybe we go to therapy, maybe we confess some things, we, our lives are starting to look good, and we've dug a good foundation, the rocks are out, the weeds are out, the broken glass and the awkward metal bits that have been thrown into our lives have been cleared out. But there's also this warning that, we see, that Jesus gives in Luke 11, that if we don't actually lay a good foundation and we just have this nice, open, clean house, it, he gives the example of like um, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterly places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes and finds the house swept and in order, um, then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter in the dwelling there. And the last state of that person is worse than that of the first. Again, if we are not laying a proper foundation and we just make a nice, clean foundation, something else will come in and fill it. Something else will come in and fill it. Don't let your lives be the de Halloween department store. The big box store that closes and the Halloween spirit store moves in. Like, hey, we got this place, let's move in. Don't let your lives be that. Don't let your lives be this shell of a thing that it could be. Because the fall of that house will be great, as Christ says. Again, we are to put off the old self and put on the new. Dig deep, lay the foundation. And then we see, lastly, both are built well. This foundation has been dug deep, is laid well, and then what comes up out of that is built well. It is built well. In James, James chapter 1, we see, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who loved him. Do you notice that this is like looking forward? It's not like immediate gratification. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test of time, the test is over, the trials have come, the pressures have come, the floods came and went, and in the future, looking ahead, this person will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's, we're guaranteed it, but it is future, not immediate. So when Jesus is saying, trust God, in, Matthew six, or in Luke 6, blessed are you when? Blessed are you when? Those are future things. Yes, maybe in the, the, the immediate, there may be some comfort and joy, but also there's this future looking. If you are in Christ, if you are doing his words, there is a guarantee of this blessing, of his promise. James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. For those who spend time with me, you, you know that. Um, but again, in James 2, this one's not on the screen, but count it all joy, my brothers, when, that's underlined in my Bible, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness will have its full effect, you will be perfect and complete, lacking no nothing. Again, we are... We know that there's going to be trials. We know that there's going to be floods. We know that the attacks are going to come. And if we are not doing what Jesus says, we will get washed away. We'll become distraught. We, several years ago, many people were deconstructing their faith. Christians, people that claimed to be Christians and were living out Christians' lives, who walked away from God, rationalized themselves out of it. Why? Because they were not doing what God said, or they had not heard with understanding. 
and like, God, you are not working on my timeline, so I'm just going to walk away from you. Deconstructing it. Like, no, if, if God really is this, then God really would be doing this according to me. So, God's not doing it. God must not be wrong. I'm going to walk away. Like, we expect God to work on our timeline versus here we're seeing there's this future. It's guaranteed in its future. One of the passages that the elders of this church dwell on and meditate on and pray on and pray over us is in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we see Paul saying, And he gave us the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of, uh, of the fullness of Christ, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. There's just some of the floods that come against us. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are no longer tossed by the waves. We are no longer washed away. But because we are actually doing His Word, we have confidence. We have assured assurance. Yes, the trials still come to the fool and to the wise man, but the response of the two will be different. The outcome of the two will be different. If we are living a lives of repentance, when the, when the light is shown on maybe an area of our life, we can say, you're right, that is who I was, but thank the Lord that he has taken that from me. Mountain City, we, we have um, our discipleship pathway and all of the things that we do here at the church, we are desiring that they are coming from Scripture or influenced by Scripture, and we're not just, like, tacking things on. I'm not making fun of churches that do it, but we, we don't have a, cl a clown balloon ministry where we go around doing balloon animals and telling people about Jesus, okay? Could we do that? Maybe, but okay, but like, that's not the purpose, okay? Of that, that, it doesn't fit in with what we're doing here. Although Derek Malone... He, you know, I'll, I'll wear your shoes if we do it, okay? Uh, but are we... What is our foundation? When the storms come, what do we have? Are we doing what, what we think is right, or are we doing what Christ says? And the response will be different from the person who is living out what Christ has said versus the person who is like, why has God abandoned me? Why has God left me? That's one of the beauty of the discipleship groups that we have here at the church. And if, you, if, you're, if you're not in one and curious about those, talk to um, myself, talk to one of the elders, talk to one of the people, the name tags, and they will give you some more information about what discipleship groups are and how to get involved with those. But it's a time of, of men and women coming together and sharing and reading through Scripture and being vulnerable and challenging each other to be doing what Jesus says, to be repenting of sin, to be encouraging one another, to be building one another up in love so that... The body can work together. And so that way his kingdom will be built up. 
as Sam was praying at the beginning, as Sam was praying at the beginning um, of the service, next Sunday we have a, um, a vote whether we are going to be entering into or looking at the next steps of entering to a fostering church relationship with Second Baptist Church down in Cumberland. Now, if, if you haven't heard about that or are curious about that, um, come talk to me afterwards and I can give you more information. And we have a, a video on our website that we can show you and let you watch if you have any questions. But next week, we are putting to a vote, are we going to be doing what Jesus says? Is this what Jesus is calling us to do? I would encourage you this week to be praying through that. Praying through that. Is this what Jesus is calling us to do? Is this one of the things that Jesus is calling us to do? There's so many awesome ministries that we, we are do, regularly doing here at the church. From the Sunday morning gathering to our children teaching time in the back during Sunday morning, through the clothing closet, which is the first Thursday of every month, um, <clears throat> to other events as well. Our women's fellowship, they met, the other, they met uh, Friday night. Times of coming together and challenging each other and being in confession with one another so we can be doing what Jesus says. We're desiring to lay a good foundation and not just entertain and distract and have the TV on, the cell phone out, and playing video games and, not, and just hearing God's word. May we actually be doers of God's word for his glory and for our good so that when the storms come, we will be able to stand fast because we have been well-built in Christ. Let's pray. Father, and thank you so much for, for your word. Father, as we are preparing a time of communion. May, may we actually do what these words say. May we examine ourselves and take of communion rightly. God, as we respond and, and sing songs, as we worship you through, through word, may these words challenge us to actually have you be our vision, that we will have you as our firm foundation, that we will desire you and do what you say. That when you call us to love others, that we will love others. When we call us to trust you, we will trust you. When you call us to repent, we'll repent. When we, you call us to seek first the kingdom of God, may we actually do that and not our own. Because if we are building your kingdom up, whenever the storms come, whenever trials come, your name will be made great. May we be doers of your word, Lord. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.